Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With episode 236 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and the Silver King is here to break down everything that happened this past week in AEW and NXT. We're talking Rampage Dynamite and the latest edition of NXT all in one episode. Plenty to talk about today as AEW was coming out of its full gear pay-per-view. Absolutely tremendous show they put on last weekend. And NXT is on its way building towards War Games, the latest edition of War Games, as William Regal would have said in the past. But yes, it is a loaded show. We have plenty to get to. That means we got to start by taking care of business right off the jump. And a reminder for all of you listening to this show that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast We are all about the five here. That means five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. We don't ask much from you. All we're really asking, many of you, most of you probably are listening to the show on Apple Podcasts. You already have the app open. Click it, hit the five-star button, leave a couple words, tell people why you love the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast so much. All of your ratings and reviews significantly help this show jump up in the rankings, gets us more listeners, uh, more attention. And the more we're able to grow, the more we will be able to do for you in the future. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We are so close to that 1,000 follower mark. May not seem like much, but for a show that's only been around for a short period of time, that does not advertise, that does not promote itself in any significant way, us hitting 1,000 followers on Twitter actually opens up a lot of doors for us to do some cool things on Twitter, including with Twitter spaces, uh, which is something that we, of course, do for every major pay-per-view. We do a live show 30 minutes before the kickoff show, and we will be doing that this Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, prior to WWE Survivor Series. Speaking of Survivor Series, if you have missed our Ultimate Preview show, which came out on Tuesday, Just go back right into the feed, into the archives. Make sure you listen to the WWE Survivor Series Ultimate Preview. Catch up on our takes, our predictions, our thoughts on this upcoming pay-per-view. Because Sunday night, as soon as Survivor Series goes off the air, we will have a WWE Survivor Series Instant Analysis Podcast. I know it is your guys' favorite version of the podcast that we do. We will have that for you Sunday night as soon as the pay-per-view goes off off the air. So yes, plenty for you to listen to already this week. Plenty still upcoming, including today's show where we're going to talk AEW and NXT. A reminder uh, for those of you who listen to the show frequently or some information for those who may be listening for the first time. uh, We do, of course, break up AEW and NXT in separate sections on this show. So just like any episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, All you need to do is check our episode description and it will tell you the timestamp. If you only want to hear AEW, if you want to jump around to NXT, whatever you want to do, you are able to do it by checking our episode description and finding that timestamp. But today we are going to start with AEW, especially considering it is coming off of that full gear pay-per-view. And something that stood out to me in AEW this week, not just on the Dynamite post full gear, but even on Rampage ahead of it, is... AEW is working heavily against its own mantra 
of we're always going to give you fresh feuds. We're going to avoid rematches. We're going to avoid repetition. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of fresh stuff happened on Dynamite, including Hangman Page and Brian Danielson, CM Punk and MJF, those in particular. But there were also three different feuds from the pay-per-view that were still continuing, as well as a number from television that have not stopped and have been going on for a really long time and are still moving forward. And as a viewer of all the products, one of the things that really does set AEW apart from WWE or did in the past was that when a feud wrapped up, it ended it and it moved forward. But that is just not what they're doing now. I mean, there are so many different feuds and incarnations of feuds that are ongoing, but all felt to me at least like they had already reached their natural endpoint, or at least could have reached their natural endpoint where I don't know what they're going to do going forward. So as we break down Dynamite and Rampage, take that into consideration when I'm kind of going over my thoughts. There were certainly a couple occasions where it felt like, why are you still doing this? It's really time to move on. And that is something that we criticize WWE about frequently, where someone will go into a title match at a pay-per-view, they'll lose, and then they're still the number one contender, or they're still trying to challenge for it. And I have a problem with NXT doing something like that as well, which we will talk about a little bit later. But let's get to Dynamite. Uh, the Elite opened the show backstage with Kenny Omega, saying that Hangman Page won fair and square, but the entire Elite were losers at full gear, and he specifically needed to go away and figure some things out. He asked them to hold down the fort for him while he was gone, and Adam Cole answered, but Omega said he was actually referring to the Young Bucks holding things down. Later, they cut another promo in the same position without Omega, saying Full Gear was the worst night of their lives. Cole said he was sick of Jurassic Express. So there's another tag team match. This Friday on Rampage, Adam Cole and Bobby Fish against two of the members. I think it's Jungle Boy and Christian, but I may have missed who the second person was. Um, And then Bobby Fish walked up to cut a promo, and he was about to say, and that's undisputed, but they cut him off and said, hey, you can't say that here, which of course is funny. Omega, uh, as far as he is concerned, he's reportedly nursing multiple injuries. He may need a couple surgeries, including on his shoulder. Even before that was known, it was expected he was going to take some time off here. But this was a nice and simple way to kind of weave it into a storyline. Also planting the seeds potentially for some dissension within the elite, uh, with Cole presumably seeing himself as a leader, given his past experience in WWE and NXT with Undisputed Era. Uh, The scheduled match... Like I said, it was just super repetitive at this point. I don't really want to see it. Is the wrestling going to be good? Absolutely, the wrestling is going to be good. Always. I know that. I'm sick of Adam Cole and Jungle Boy and Christian and Bobby Fish. We just talked about it last week. It seems like this guy wrestles every single week and he's fine in the ring. I don't need to see him every week when there's other superstars, not superstars, I'm sorry, wrestlers uh, in AEW that I would like to see get opportunities. So it's just a frustration for me. Uh, But the real opening of the show, the main thing that happened, was Hangman Page celebrating his AEW World Championship win in the ring, which was mostly an excuse for people to say the word shit like a thousand times. The crowd chanted, you deserve it, but he clarified he didn't just deserve it, he earned it, so the crowd chanted that instead. Brian Danielson came out as the number one contender, saying he was happy for Hangman, but surprised and disappointed that it wasn't Omega because he wanted to fight him again. Hangman said not only was he champion, He did it in less than 30 minutes, referring to the draw that Danielson had with Omega in Queens. Brian said he meant no disrespect, but he also didn't dress like a ghostbuster and takes wrestling seriously, unlike Hangman, who basically is never in the ring and never wrestling. This was an obvious heel turn coming from Brian, at least for this feud. 
Brian said, look, I won the title at WrestleMania and wrestled the next night. So Hangman challenged him, hey, let's fight right now. Brian said he didn't want to give Hangman an excuse for not being ready. They got into a shoving match. And then the segment kind of just fizzled somehow, kind of like one of those SNL sketches that just doesn't really have an ending and they just, you know, end it, right? That's basically what happened here. Now, this was a really important segment for AEW. Hangman and Brian absolutely nailed it. Danielson is obviously the best at this, arguably the best in the world at this, but his turn was so nuanced that it felt completely natural and not out of character for him at all. AEW does not do many in-ring promo confrontation segments like this, and it never starts shows with promos. So this was definitely a WWE-style start to the show, but it worked for them just as it normally does, or infrequently, I should say, frequently does for WWE. But it was a good start, a good kickoff for this feud, and there's a little bit more that we'll talk about now. So immediately after commercial, Brian Danielson had a scheduled match with Evil Uno. There wasn't enough noteworthy in this match to even break down. After getting chopped in the chest like a million times, Danielson hit a running knee and then won the second he put Evil Uno in the triangle choke. Brian then grabbed a mic and promised to kick in the heads of all the Dark Order members until he gets his world title match. Now, running through a faction before facing their friend and champion, he's not the leader, but he's almost the de facto leader, makes a lot of sense. But it's also a scenario where we now know Daniel Bryan, or Brian Danielson, I'm sorry, is going to be in, you know, six matches, let's say. And we know the result of all of them. He's going to win them all, many of them decisively. So I do wonder when the title match is happening. I have to assume they're not going to make us wait three months until the next pay-per-view for it. Is there a TNT special coming up? Um, Are they just going to do it on the main event of a Dynamite to try to pop a rating against some tough competition? You know, I don't exactly know, but I am kind of curious to see, you know, where this goes. It also makes a lot of sense that they had Danielson turn heel, given presumably the booking was for John Moxley to win this Eliminator tournament as a heel and be that first person to go up against Hangman. In this case, as with Moxley, I think Hangman absolutely has to win the feud, has to beat Brian. It's okay for Brian to take his first loss to this young guy who they're building up to be a main eventer in AEW for a very, very long time. But I do think the heel turn was not planned, not something that AEW was going to do a direction they were going to go with Brian more just circumstantial based on them needing to create a challenger for Hangman in this situation. I don't know that he needed to turn heel, but there's no doubt that the crowd bought into it. He got a lot of heat and it totally worked. So even if it didn't need to happen, the fact that it did was a very positive development. Uh, We had a TNT championship match, Sammy Guevara against Jay Lethal. This was the main event of Dynamite. Sammy sold injured ribs during the commercial break. He had a Spanish fly inside and countered a Tope Suicida outside into a brain buster at ringside. Sammy put Lethal on that standard table they always have outside and dove with a senton from the top rope, but Lethal moved out of the way. Sammy countered a really bad elbow drop from Lethal into a near fall. Sammy broke a figure four. Guevara countered a bunch of things, hit two V-triggers and a GTH for the clean win. Tony Nese was also shown watching from ringside once again. Inner Circle celebrated in the post-match. The guys shook hands and then Inner Circle gave Jay Lethal the nod by raising his arms. It was a perfectly fine match, 3.5 stars and a B, good wrestling. Something about it didn't work for me, especially as the main event of the show. I just really couldn't put my finger on it. Maybe it just felt like a lot of other bigger things happened. The CM Punk, uh, MJF thing we're going to talk about momentarily, the entire deal with Brian Danielson 
and Hangman Page. By comparison, this just felt like an extremely weak main event, something that didn't hit for me. Uh, Jay Lethal, I like him in general as an in-ring performer, but he's also not incredible by any means. And this was this being his debut in AEW, it didn't really sell me on him being a member of the company. So just kind of fell flat. But again, the wrestling was good and I graded it as such. Uh, 2.0 approached Eddie Kingston backstage, saying it was pathetic that he lasted shorter in the ring with CM Punk than their son, Danny Garcia. Kingston told Garcia letting other guys call him their son is pathetic and he shoved them. I presume setting up a match between them in the near future. There was nothing much to this other than Kingston begging at the end to be allowed one promo without being interrupted. And I thought that was really funny. On Rampage, we had Orange Cassidy versus Matt Hardy in a lumberjack match. Before the match, Orange said, this is the end of the feud. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. Hardy paid off the heel lumberjacks to lay out the faces. Best friends did a double tope. Orange was vaulted into a cannonball splash onto like 20 people outside the ring. Hardy did a side effect and then tons of lumberjacks fought in the ring. Blade caught Orange with brass knucks and Hardy pinned him. Hardy then locked in the leech as Blade knocked out the other men, the faces, with the Nux, and Bunny did the same to Chris Statlander. I don't have much of an opinion on that from Rampage. It just kind of happened. We thought this would end the feud, but it was really held to set up a tag team match with Tomohiro Ishii from New Japan on Dynamite. And even the way that was booked and set up was pretty convoluted. So moving over to Dynamite, we had Orange and Tomohiro Ishii against Butcher and the Blade. Orange wrestled the first half of the match. Ishii no-sold Butcher's strikes and hit a superplex. Orange hit Stun Dog Millionaire and a Tornado DDT for a near fall. Rocky Romero stopped Blade from using the brass knucks. Orange splashed Blade and Matt Hardy outside, letting Ishii hit a lariat and sheer drop Brainbuster for the win. Now, many of you remember from when I used to cover NJPW in depth on the old shows I was on, that Ishii is one of my absolute favorites in New Japan. Him, Kota Ibushi, to some degree Tanahashi, and obviously I I really respect Okada and um, Naito as well. But really, Ishii and Ibushi are like my two dudes for the most part. And he was fine here. But the usage in a semi-comedy situation was strange, and they didn't treat Ishii like a big deal, which he is. Now granted, he's not Kazuchika Okada, who Jim Ross name-dropped two more times, And it certainly seems like they are setting the stage for Okada to either do something in AEW or for someone in AEW to do something with Okada in New Japan. But the appearance of Ishii was still a really big coup. So to my legitimate surprise, true surprise, I was so disappointed by the way this match was presented. Ishii did not even get his own entrance. He just walked out while Orange Cassidy's theme was playing. They did a whole big deal for Minoru Suzuki. And then they just treated Ishii like he's another guy. And that did not sit well with me at all. Uh, At Flair for the Gold on Twitter uh, tweeted us. He said, I was thinking about this with Ishii. Felt like they didn't spotlight him enough. Seemed like a random match where he's been there for years rather than a debut to really make him feel special. Completely agree with you. Uh, Andrade El Idolo said he proved he's a better wrestler than Cody and Pac. And he's ready to show his bad side. If he's ready to show his bad side, what was he showing before? Cash Wheeler then said FTR was robbed because the illegal man was pinned in the title match. Then they made an eight-man tag team match challenge with Malachi Black being the other member of their team for next week. Later, Black confirmed he'd participate with a taped promo about making the air toxic. None of the faces, 
I don't think got to respond other than the Lucha Bros. Actually, I'm sorry. The Lucha Bros did cut a promo later, but neither Cody nor Pac were heard from. Now for a company that prides itself on not repeating matches and just not being repetitious with some of its booking, they sure find a lot of ways to try and hide repeating matches. Does anyone really want this eight-man tag team match? Like, I don't. I mean, maybe there's going to be some exciting wrestling, but when it's eight people, it is an absolute convoluted mess. You know Rick Knox is going to referee it. Even if he doesn't, there won't be tag team rules followed. And for an FTR match, to me, that's important. I just really hoped all of this was over at full gear. If FTR versus the Lucha Bros, Cody and Pac versus Andrade and Malachi in whatever formation. Yet both of these are still ongoing and all of it is going to ongo together in a single match next week on Dynamite, two weeks removed from the pay-per-view. So yeah, for me, major issue here. Ty Conti cut a tape promo where she said a bunch of nothing. It really wasn't believable. Britt Baker then got her normal backstage 45 seconds with Tony Schiavone saying she's tired of carrying the division and supporting Jamie Hayter in the TBS tournament when she faces Thunder Rosa next week. Again, that's the entirety of what we saw from the women's champion on Dynamite, a 45-second standard backstage promo. That's it. Uh, we had a match, a women's match, thank God, on the show. The TBS tournament quarterfinal, Nyla Rose versus Hikaru Shida. Nyla dominated early until she put Shida into a chair outside, only for Shida to move as Nyla hit an apron cannonball into it. That was a great spot, spot of the match for me. Vicky Guerrero tried to use a kendo stick, but Shida stole it and hit her twice. Serena Deeb attacked her late in the match, letting Nyla hit a draping flying knee for a near fall on Sheeta. Nyla concentrated on the injured knee and countered a katana into a stretch muffler with Sheeta tapping out in the end. Nyla advanced to the semifinal. So this started out terribly. I mean, the beginning of this match just did not work for me, but it really did pick up in the final two minutes after the commercial break. It got 11 minutes total. Like I said, the last two of them were good. Shout out to the dude, by the way, in the crowd. I did not miss it for those who tweeted me who held up a sign that said, book greater than one women's match on TV. You know, we say it every week. It's one match per show. It's all they do. And frequently when they do give the one match, it doesn't even get 11 minutes and it gets a double commercial break. At least Nyla and Hikaru Shida actually got time to wrestle on the show. Uh, MJF cut a passionate taped promo after Full Gear where he ran down people who said, He's only good on the mic, teased fans for cheering for his wrestling ability, and then talked shit to Darby Allen as well for losing with a headlock takeover. He said people now have to admit he's better than them. Nothing really to say about that other than it was perfect. Uh, it was a great promo. I actually wish we had gotten it backstage during Full Gear as opposed to three days later, especially because we saw MJF later in the show anyway. He came out midway through the show saying he's the most complete wrestler on the planet and deserves to be the next world champion. That brought out CM Punk. Fans chanted, holy shit, and STFU when MJF tried to speak. MJF offered his hand to shake. Punk smiled, turned his back, and left. This was very effective in setting up a feud based on disrespect, but I truly hope this is a situation where Punk starts putting over the younger talent. That's not He has not been there long enough where it's an issue, so I'm not saying there's any issue here, but he came in, saying, I want to work with all the younger talent. He beat Darby Allen. Fine. Eddie Kingston is not a quote-unquote younger talent, but he is certainly someone in AEW who um, is newer to the mainstream wrestling audience, let's say. He also had the feud with Danny Garcia. He beat Danny Garcia. This is MJF. This is a different situation. There is no way he should win a feud 
against MJF. This should be a setup as Chris Lynch at Bronx Lynchy on Twitter uh, wrote in. He said, I popped for that Punk MJF standoff. Punk putting MJF over en route to Max winning the title from Page is going to be great. That is absolutely the exact booking they should be doing. MJF should be the one, first of all, to take the title off Hangman. And it should be, you know, after Punk putting him over, MJF building himself up even further, whether it's the next pay-per-view and it's a short reign for Hangman, or whether it's two pay-per-views from now, it should be MJF over Hangman taking the title. That absolutely should be the booking. Darby Allen backstage said he wasn't broken mentally and would fight MJF again soon. Darby said he wanted the biggest and baddest AEW has to offer. So Billy Gunn, yeah, that Billy Gunn, Mr. Ass, stepped up to say he fit that bill. Now, this is a fine in-between match, but Darby getting some juice back needs to happen against far better, more modern, and more established stars in AEW, not just a Billy Gunn. Beating Billy, fine. But in a week or two, he better have a match against somewhat substantial and win it because they actually do need to give him some juice back. Over on Rampage, we had Dante Martin against Arya Davari, formerly of 205 Live. Uh, Martin got his stuff in and Davari got a near fall after a frog splash. Martin did a running springboard glider type of move outside and then his springboard moonsault for the win. Super fun match. And they are doing a really good job featuring Martin. After the match, Ricky Starks on the mic offered Martin a contract to join Team Taz. Starks told him to take his time and read it over. And then on the full gear buy-in, the acclaim suggested Martin join them only to eat a springboard cannonball from Martin. It was nice to get Martin a couple pops here, but the end game of all of this booking is curious. I would really like to see him get opportunities like fighting Sammy Guevara for a TNT title match. But even if he gets that chance, you assume he's going to lose. So really to what end is all of this push for Dante Martin? I'm curious like what the end result is. Is it his partner coming back and them just reestablishing themselves as a tag team and going after the titles? That would be great, but he's being pulled in three different directions. And I like him a lot. You know, don't get me wrong. I praise him every time we talk about his wrestling. But when we see him in the ring, it really is the same thing every week. And and that's the tr- that's that can be said for almost any wrestler in the world, especially in WWE. They do their signature moves. They do their finisher. That's it. But with Dante Martin, he's being so overly featured, just like Bobby Fish, where it's so repetitive. I kind of want to break from the guy. Either move into something substantial or give me a break from him. You have to choose one direction or the other. So on Dynamite, we had Dante Martin and Leo Rush against the Acclaimed. Dante made a great diving move so Leo could get the hot tag. Dante hit a springboard missile dropkick to Cheers. Later, he set Leo up for a great frog splash that the cameras completely missed for the win. Team Taz took the stage after saying they'd be patient as Dante makes his decision to either have a Hall of Fame career with them or a mediocre one with Rush. There was excitement to the match, but man, AEW cameras completely missed two big spots and kind of missed another one. And it just felt like much of the same that we've been seeing recently with Dante, as I just said. It's almost overexposure at this point. By the way, there was another great sign during this match. The crowd chanted, this is awesome. And some dude held up a sign that said, this is awesome in quotes, sucks. And it's true. It's completely overused. I wish there were some more unique chants. A couple more things before we get out of here. On Rampage, Jade Cargill fought Santana Garrett. Jade threw Garrett into Red Velvet, who was sitting in the crowd. Cargill then won with Jade in a relative squash match. And Jade and Velvet brawled at ringside afterwards. So they're, of course, fighting next. Also, Brett Charles Millam, at Brett underscore Millam. He wrote, what is your assessment of the ranking system? It doesn't necessarily take away from the show. Although it's silly, Bobby and now Lethal can bypass rankings and debut in a TNT title match. 
but also they don't seem to add much to the show. Yeah, I think that's really the key is the ranking system I thought was going to add elements to Dynamite and Rampage that would excite me, treating it like real sports. But it's really just an excuse occasionally to give certain people matches. So if they need a TNT title match for Sammy Guevara, they'll say, this person is the number four ranked men's singles competitor. So that's why he gets the match. And that's okay. I I like using rankings in that way, but it is far too frequent that the number one or two person on the rankings is not the one challenging for a title. And if you're going to have the ranking system, then bypassing it with things like the casino ladder match where you can grab the chip and become number one contender and some other things, you look at the rankings and you're like, well, why aren't these guys fighting? Like in what world does MJF by now not deserve a world title match or a TNT title match? And I know, I guess part of the storyline was, hey, Tony Khan has something against him. But why would Tony Khan employ him if he doesn't want him to challenge for one of these titles, right? Like MJF really should have already been TNT champion if you're actually thinking about it. Now he had other feuds that distracted him and, you know, whatever. So maybe he wasn't totally focused on the title at all at all times, but he should have been cutting promos throughout that entire thing. I'm the number one ranked guy. The champions are ducking me. Why isn't Kenny Omega respecting me? So on and so forth. So I don't know. It just kind of feels to me like, the ranking system, it's something that I wish all wrestling, including WWE, had. But even though AEW does have it, they don't use it to the fullest extent of its abilities. Same thing with records. And they promised they were going to show advanced stats. They never, ever did that, such as like percentage of matches someone wins with a finisher. It would be really cool for a match to end and them to say, oh, hey, you know, Brian Danielson has now only won 40% of his matches with his finisher, the other 60% have come with a variety of submission moves or whatever the case. Like if I know that they've gone away from saying we're going to be the sports-based presentation. I know that that never really came to fruition, but I still kind of want that. I would love to see a wrestling company actually buy into some of those things. And you know what? Maybe it's something because we'll talk about NXT in a moment and how this new era of NXT really isn't working. Maybe that's a direction WWE can go, where they can create a brand and kind of say, hey, let's make this a little bit more reality-based, which seems to be what they're trying to do, but also failing to do with NXT. So before we get to that, really quick, wrapping up AEW, uh, a really entertaining episode of Dynamite, but I did find that as soon as the MJF CM Punk segment ended, the final 45 minutes of the show were just mediocre to below average. The opening hour 15, the first 75 minutes, extremely entertaining. And a large part of that was not wrestling. It really wasn't. I know AEW likes to be wrestling and they like to say the WWE is sports entertainment, but some of the best stuff on Dynamite was sports entertainment and not wrestling. It was the promo segment with Paige and Brian, and it was the promo segment and, you know, backstage promo videos, including Kenny Omega, Adam Cole, the Young Bucks, MJF, and then CM Punk coming out to see him but maybe that's just how I'm conditioned. But that's what I like most from Dynamite. So with that, let's move over to NXT, uh, which is building on its way towards War Games in the beginning of December, only a couple of weeks away. I wanted to note that when I first reviewed the Performance Center remodel for NXT, one of my biggest gripes and complaints that I talked about on this show were the bright lights shining on plain walls in the corner and how exposed those lights were and how low rent it made everything look. Well, NXT fixed it this week by adding more screens. 
The good news is, even though they added more screens, those screens are not as colorful as the entrances. So they're using the screens to like put up logos and names of people and show darkened um, fake crowd members and things like that. So I thought from a aesthetic standpoint, NXT, the new version, looked the best it has yet. They finally were able to tone things down and they started using fewer colors. That is a step in the right direction. As far as the show as a whole, well, we'll talk about my wrap-up at the end. But let's get to what actually happened on the program. Grizzled Young Veterans stole the women's tag team titles so Zach Gibson could FaceTime his grandma, make her proud, and ensure he got most of her inheritance. So the gimmick is now set. They're basically con artists at this point. And I don't hate that in general, I will say. The introduction last week, scamming food delivery, it was stupid and it was not executed well. But this was solid and I did find it to be entertaining. Uh, We had Raquel Gonzalez versus Dakota Kai. This was the main event of the show. Gonzalez said in a backstage promo that she hasn't slept since Halloween Havoc and Kai cost her everything she's worked to achieve. So she's gonna bury her with the shovel that Kai used on her. Dakota Kai said the only way she could get over her past is to bury Gonzalez. Toxic Attraction walked up and Kai said, if she does take out Raquel, Mandy Rose will owe her twice. GYV then showed up and returned the tag team titles, saying the best way to lie is to hide it within truths. Uh, Tamara Mensa-Stock, the Olympic gold medal winner uh, for women's wrestling, she was in the crowd watching the match. As far as the match goes, there were dueling chants and the match was really aggressive both ways. Gonzalez hit a two-handed choke bomb and Kai ripped off the bottom turnbuckle prior to a fallaway slam. Kai countered the chingona bomb into some near falls. And then Gonzalez caught her in a stretch muffler, but turned it into a slam. Dakota caught Raquel with that exposed turnbuckle, which Gonzalez sold as Kai grabbed the shovel. She tried to use it, but got kicked. Raquel then was about to use the shovel when Toxic Attraction just ran in for the disqualification. Cora Jade made the save with a skateboard, but got pummeled. Zoe Stark then came out with a knee brace and crutches, but Io Shirai stole her crutch and used it to beat down Toxic Attraction. Jade hit a DDT into her skateboard, and Gonzalez helped clear the ring as the crowd chanted war games. And then Io Shirai grabbed a microphone and did, you know, I give her credit. She did her best William Regal as she possibly could and said, law games, making the challenge. So obviously the face team is going to need a fourth member. I don't know who that's going to be. You would think maybe don't put Cora Jade in this match and allow Casey Kentonazaro and Caden Carter to be the other two, but apparently not. So I'm not sure how they're going to fill this out or exactly what the booking is going to be. But clearly, this is moving towards war games. Kai and Gonzalez, their match was really good. It didn't go long enough, and I didn't get enough meat on the bone there to give it a grade or anything like that. Usually, you know, I'll hate a disqualification finish, especially for no reason. In this case, it worked because it prolongs us getting Raquel Gonzalez versus Dakota Kai one-on-one in the blow-off match for their feud that we obviously all eventually want. So the fact that hopefully we're going to get that down the line, that's still good, and and. It also prevents us from having the match three or four times and with different results. One person cheats to win, the other person wins, and they do a rubber match. This way, this one's out of the way. Hopefully, we only get one more in the future. LA Knight cut a taped promo saying he's a megastar, even without his riches, and Grayson Waller is standing between him and the NXT Championship. He toned down the catchphrases a lot and said a lot less bullshit. It was more substantial. And because of that, I think this was my favorite promo he's cut in NXT to this point. And it may have been part of a double turn because on lashing out with Lash Legend, Grayson Waller showed up. He said, wrestlers can be found beyond the independents fighting their way up and wrestling isn't about wins and losses anymore. It's only about how many stars you get or how many followers you have. Waller said, don't blame him that the game has changed. 
he did a really freaking good job cutting this promo. Now, you can say what you want about the content of the promo, and the content surely is not going to win over any WWE doubters, even if he is right about the star rating thing. But this seemed like a double turn, and Waller really did his part in selling it, so I got to give him some credit, but I just have no idea why they chose to go in this direction, turn Knight face, potentially, and turn Waller heel. I I just don't know why, so we're going to find out on future editions of NXT. Tommaso Ciampa was cutting his normal promo in a warehouse, angry with the new crop of talent for lacking respect, so he stormed to the ring. He told off Carmelo Hayes and Grayson Waller. Then he was about to go in on Tony D'Angelo when Braun Breaker's music hit. Braun came out and said Ciampa didn't need to worry about anyone but him, so Ciampa reminded him of his loss at Halloween Havoc. Ciampa said Braun had less than a 33 and one-third percent chance of taking the title from him, and he can bark all he wants, but he's just a puppy, and then Ciampa walked out on him. So obviously, of course, I popped for the reference to the Steiner math promo, but man, I am so legitimately bothered that they are going right back to this feud. I mean, Champa just beat this guy two or three weeks ago. Braun didn't even take a single week off trying to confront Champa and get another match. And now it seems like they're going to run it back maybe as soon as War Games in two weeks. If they do that, are they really going to have Braun lose to Champa twice in a row? And even if they did, he would just have a third match, it seems, one month later and finally win. It's just all so concerning and unnecessary to push him this hard, this fast. He had the match with Champa. He looked great. Champa put him over, you know, giving him dap and shaking his hand and saying, hey, good job, rookie. And you allow this guy to move on and contend for the North American title or do something else and work his way back up and then eventually beat Champa. Instead, they just went right back to it. And look, maybe the booking is going to prove me wrong. But this is not the NXT of old where it gets the benefit of the doubt and usually does prove concerns wrong. Quite the opposite, in fact. NXT, this new version, proves concerns right more often than not. So I'm just not feeling this. And as much as I love Braun Breaker, I mean, I hate the name, but I like the guy. As much as I love Tommaso Ciampa, I'm really concerned that they're just going to change this title in two weeks. And if they do, man, NXT is in trouble. They're in trouble without veterans to really be stewards and lead this ship. We had Dexter Loomis versus Tony D'Angelo. When Loomis made his entrance, he unveiled a drawing of Tony literally sleeping with the fishes. With the referee's back turned, D'Angelo put a thumb in Loomis's eye and hit his swinging fisherman's suplex for the win in like five minutes. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams attacked in the post-match, and stomped Loomis's hand between a chair before Johnny Gargano made the save. Gargano cut a promo saying he originally wanted Mello for the North American title, but now just wants to kick his teeth down his throat. That brought Pete Dunn out saying he beat Mello and deserves the number one contendership. Trick and Mello talk trash with Mello challenging both to a triple threat title match next week. The match here was a bunch of nothing. I know they want to push D'Angelo, but Loomis loses way more than he should. The triple threat match has been obvious booking since Dunn's return, but I assumed it would be at War Games in three weeks, so I have no idea why this is the direction they are moving unless these guys are all going to be in a War Games match. That's certainly possible. Even if you do want to pop a TV rating, just do a number one contendership between Gargano and Dunn or have them fight in a singles match. Just very strange for them to book it this way and put such a big match, it really is a big match, on television next week. Malcolm Bivens was getting Diamond Mine revved up when Joe Gacy entered the locker room saying, They should be open to opportunities. 
Bivens told him, hey, go pay $837.50 and come to the tryout in a couple of weeks. Man, Bivens can take any segment. I don't care how boring it is or, you know, how monotonous it is. And he just makes it entertaining every single time. Malcolm Bivens, the former Stokely Hathaway, has it in every possible way. Uh, He would be a tremendous manager on the main roster, and I do hope he gets that opportunity one day. So we had Diamond Mine versus Jacket Time and Odyssey Jones in a six-man tag. Kushida took out everyone on a hot tag, and Roderick Strong caught Jones with an impressive Olympic slam. Bivens distracted the referee as Jones ran in and flattened Strong with a running crossbody for the win. Half the match happened during commercial break, and again, a rookie just simply beating a veteran like that, it just doesn't sit right with me. It, it doesn't. It's believable because of Odyssey's size, but I wish they just made it less fluky in terms of the finish. MSK was in an airport. They snuck their supplies, quote unquote, through security. Wesley took a voucher to change his flight, which bothered Nas Carter because they were supposed to travel and arrive together to see the shaman. When they did arrive in the airport, Lee started saying he met someone who knew the shaman on his flight and said that he was a master of tag team wrestling, but Carter told him to say no more words before they meet him. All this time, I just thought it was going to be Rob Van Dam. Turns out it's clearly going to be Jeff Hardy. Slightly less cool given that we see Hardy all the time, but the connection makes total sense between MSK, Hardy, the Hardy boys. It totally works, and I am really interested now to see how that unfolds. This segment was better with MSK, was better than the one last week. Like I said, it's very dumb stoner movie, dude, where's my car style stuff, but it does work for them in some degree. But if you're going to do this, make it funny. And right now it's just not that funny. That's the biggest problem. Zion Quinn fought Andre Chase. Quinn hit a swinging Death Valley driver and won with the jackhammer. Legato del Fantasma attacked with Quinn getting the best of them until Santos Escobar returned by attacking him from behind. Electra Lopez then told Quinn, no one says no to her, and Escobar threw him backwards into a steel ramp. Electra looked back at him, sultry and forlorn. Again, the match was nothing. The post-match was a nice setup to what we presume will be a feud with Escobar. The problem, again, is that Quinn should not be beating established guys like Santos yet, so we'll see how this goes if they do have a match. Quinn does have a prototypical look and skill set, and as I've said many times, the guy is definitely going to be successful. We had a poker showdown, Duke Hudson versus Cameron Grimes. This was literally just a single hand of Texas Hold'em live in the middle of the ring. Hudson had the best hand with three of a kind on the flop, while Grimes had nothing uh, except, uh, I think it was a flush draw he was going for because there were four hearts on the table. Grimes said Hudson always fails when it counts, went all in and questioned the size of his balls. Hudson got worked up because of Grimes' prior luck and he folded. He stole the hand from the dealer and was incensed that he got his ass bluffed. Then he powerbombed Grimes through the poker table. He was about to leave when he grabbed a pair of scissors from a toolbox and cut Grimes' beard and then his hair. Now, I've said for weeks that I hate this poker gimmick, and I really do. I also really hated the vignettes they did in the poker room. But to my legitimate surprise, this segment was tolerable. Like, Hudson did a good job selling his aggravation, and Grimes was his normal, annoying self. A fresh look from Grimes if they do move on with a, whether it's a hair versus hair match, or whether Grimes just comes back clean cut maybe this upcoming week on NXT. I like them going in that direction with him and changing up his look because the hillbilly look for him, he's past that now. Like, I know he has a different gimmick and I guess it could work as a a rich country bumpkin type of deal, but clean clean yourself up, man. Like he's better. He's better than looking the way he does, if that makes sense. 
Um, and the eventual match between them, Hudson and Grimes, I think that's going to be well-wrestled too. So after a really bad start to this entire thing, it may be okay. But once we get past this, if Hudson is still doing the poker character, which I assume he's going to, I'll be completely out on it again. We had Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner versus Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen in a tag team match. O'Reilly told Wagner backstage he saw him on SmackDown but wasn't bothered by it. I'm glad they at least mentioned it and tied it together. It still concerns me that Wagner shows up on SmackDown at all, but at least the fact that they mentioned it was something. O'Reilly took Briggs out with a flying knee off the apron and Wagner hit a double underhook twisting slam for the win. Imperium backstage admitted that O'Reilly and Wagner are getting better but are not at their level. Commentary tried to put over that odd couple tag teams can work, but nothing about O'Reilly and Wagner works for me. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make me feel as if this is anything they're going to do long term. And it really does make me feel as if it's a holdover until Kyle's contract runs out and he potentially leaves. And by the way, Johnny Gargano's contract is potentially up as well. We don't know whether either has resigned, wants to, doesn't want to. All of this is up in the air. Uh, but right now it's creating a really weird dynamic in NXT. Uh, Persia Prada uh, fought Gabby Stevens and Jenna Levy in a handicap match. This was supposed to be a tag team match, but Indy Hartwell stayed backstage to nurse Loomis, who was recovering from the attack we talked about earlier. Robert Stone watched this match from the ramp. Parada took both women off the ropes with a double Samoan drop, and she won with an F5 style X Factor. That was a really cool finishing move. It was by far the most impressive she's looked thus far in NXT, and I presume the idea here is Stone is going to get between the two friends. So you're going to have Loomis and Indy, and maybe Persia Parada and Robert Stone. I don't love that necessarily because they were just establishing Indy and Parada as a tag team, but maybe I'm also looking too far ahead and projecting, and maybe they're not going to do that. Uh, Casey Kentnazaro and Caden Carter had a video package, and it was so scripted and recited line by line that it felt like they were reading it for the first time off of paper when they aired the promo. Basically, they just solidified their new gimmick as EDM chicks who want to be the life of the party. So life of the party is really the gimmick. I'm totally fine with that as a gimmick and a presentation. And you guys know I love them as a team. I think they are really talented together. They work off each other well. They have a lot of tag team moves, but they still don't have a name. Their finisher, I don't think, has a name. And this promo was just such a bad presentation for them that I cannot believe they did not do a second take or just didn't do it again or find a better version of it. This was just so canned and so corny the way they read it off the script. It did not work for me at all. Uh, But really, that's it from NXT this week. Overall, though, look, I I said that we really needed to give this new NXT, this NXT 2.0, you know, a couple months to kind of work itself out, to figure out whether we were going to like it, whether we were not. And I will say, from the beginning of NXT 2.0 to now, from the first two weeks to the last two weeks, it has improved massively. That's the truth. There's fewer matches and storylines happening per show, which is spacing things out, giving people more time. It is very much in the vein of the old NXT on the WWE Network, except way more campy and less serious than, of course, that one was. But the biggest problem I have is that this is just WWE trying but absolutely failing to attract a younger audience. They are doing things like making it more colorful and bright and trying to allow people to curse a little bit more and doing a number of storylines involving romance, for lack of a better term, uh, going in both directions, male to female, female to male. 
And obviously they're heavily featuring Toxic Attraction in their promotion for it. And I do think Toxic Attraction has, you know, they could work on the main roster. And they think they work right now in NXT. They work together as a trio. But the totality of what NXT 2.0 is, it's just not good enough. We have to compare it and juxtapose it to the old NXT. And the old NXT, everything about it, except maybe the visual presentation, just because they made the performance center, which they turned into the Capital Wrestling Center, they made it so dark and you could barely see the fans. And all that negative stuff that we talked about, the heavy metal aesthetic with the logo and all that shit, they went way too far in that direction. So in that vein, this is visually a little bit more enticing than that was. The truth is there's a happy medium between both. And the happy medium between both is basically AEW or WWE main roster, you know, some version of those mixed together. But they went far in the other direction. Well, let me tell you something. The colors and calling it 2.0, that's not bringing in young fans. Sexualizing some of the women or telling romantic storylines, that's not bringing in young fans. Losing the high quality wrestling that you had on the show, that's not bringing in young fans. And your characters, while some of them are legitimately exciting to see on television, okay? Tony D'Angelo works for a variety of different reasons, some of them sarcasm. Uh, Braun Breaker obviously is working. It's it's a wrestler, it's an individual talent that people wanna see on screen. Carmelo Hayes obviously works, um, but our, Carmelo Hayes was someone who debuted before we got to 2.0. So there's a presence. Some of the young women's wrestlers are working as well. So there's clearly something that they have, but they're not presenting it in the way that is going to attract the audience they want. And if they keep going in this direction, man, the ratings this week were terrible. Like you guys know, I don't talk about ratings on this show unless they're exceptionally good or exceptionally bad. The NXT demo this week, I think was lowest all time or close to lowest all time. And there wasn't significant competition on. There was a big basketball game, but that was it. So this show is going on a downward spiral, it feels like. And it's starting to get into that territory where, hey, look, the things that I'm hanging on to still watch, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, you know, Braun Breaker and and Carmelo Hayes, some of these things that are really keeping me involved, Raquel Gonzalez, Dakota Kai, Io Shirai. If they start calling people up to the main roster or contracts start expiring, if Johnny Gargano leaves, if they take the title off Ciampa and then have do nothing with him, um, why am I going to watch this show? It's going the way of that 205 Live where once the big name talent was called up, once they brought up Buddy Murphy and previously way before him, Pac, and then Pac left the company and then Cedric Alexander came up and then Mustafa Ali came up and then you're looking at this show and you're like, why am I still going to watch this? And that is the territory that NXT 2.0 is getting into right now. And because WWE is not signing new talent, especially not independent talent that we might get excited about, and because this show is on a Tuesday at eight o'clock and it's a weird time and it's going up against a lot of NBA basketball, they are not in a position right now where this show is going to grow. And at this rate, by this time next year, maybe even sooner, NXT could very well be off television and on Peacock. So... They just got to figure this out. I don't know how much of this is because Triple H isn't there, or maybe he is back and we don't know, but I have legitimate concerns about NXT and I was giving it a good amount of time 
to kind of work itself out. It has improved, like I said, but it has not improved to a degree. And beyond that, it is not providing a product that is good enough to get more people watching. You're still gonna get those 600,000 people. They're gonna watch it every week, like me, one of those people. But you're not gonna grow the audience unless you're putting on really good wrestling television. And they're just not exactly doing that right now. And it really does make you wonder if calling up Hit Row was the right decision. Taking Santos Escobar and not having him be a featured player right now in a main event or title picture, whether that was a good decision. And some of the other things that they're doing, Um, you know, splitting up the way, bringing Austin Theory up. Maybe they should not have done that. If Gargano's leaving, that's a different story. Of course, that would make sense. So I'm just in a really weird spot with NXT right now. It has truly fallen down. I mean, you guys know on this podcast, when we were, Chris and I would rank our favorite shows in a given week, NXT was one for me many weeks, most weeks, along with SmackDown. It would go back and forth. It's now not. It's the fourth or fifth show I like the most each week, like with Rampage, Altering. And if you're altering with Rampage, which largely is not a very good show, although it it can occasionally have a good wrestling match, you're not in a good spot right now. So those are my thoughts on NXT. And of course, uh, earlier in the show, my thoughts on AEW. Like I said, it's a big week here for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On Tuesday, we already did a WWE Survivor Series Ultimate Preview. Make sure you listen to that show ahead of the pay-per-view. On Sunday, 6.30 p.m. Eastern, live on Twitter Spaces, which you can access by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will do a live 30-minute pre-show ahead of Survivor Series where we're going to talk about the go-home SmackDown, what happened Friday night, as well as preview the card one last time. And then Sunday night, as soon as Survivor Series goes off the air, we will have instant analysis of WWE Survivor Series right here on this podcast, updated as soon as we possibly can once the show goes off the air. So if all that sounds really good to you, and if today's episode sounded good to you, do us a favor and remember that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about And please go and leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to fine audio. If you are a first-time listener, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You do not want to miss that Survivor Series instant analysis. And do not forget as well, for those of you uh, listening to the show, that we will have pre- and post-show polls about Survivor Series live on that Twitter account, Getting Overcast on Twitter. Uh, So make sure that you follow us, vote, and participate in those polls. So we will be back on Sunday for the live show on Twitter Spaces and the instant analysis. We'll be back next Tuesday with another WWE show breaking down more from SmackDown and the fallout of Survivor Series on Raw. And then, of course, one week from now, we'll be right back in this space with an AEW and NXT show. Thank you all for listening. I'm going to leave you now with just three final words. Bye for now.